Welcome into the House of L podcast, episode 25. We have gotten here very quickly. Those extra bears episodes kind of help in that regard of getting us to episode 25 of the podcast. I'm so happy that you've been a part of the podcast. I really am. I'm very excited because this episode will most likely push us over 100,000 downloads. And when I started the podcast five months ago, I was just so excited that 100 people listened to the Jason Benetti interview. Like, I was jacked up about that. And then you get greedy and you're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I want to get this many people listening to the podcast. But as I'm recording this, I think we're on like 98,400. And if the trend continues with how many people listen in a particular week, we will have gone over 100,000 downloads this episode. So thank you. I'm overwhelmed by the... The fact that people think it's interesting, what I wanted to do, and they appreciate what I'm trying to do with this. And I, I thank the sponsors, too. Melly Cafe, who jumped on board early. I appreciate that. They uh, they came by the uh, Sunday morning to drop off food to the NBC Sports Chicago Bears crew. It was so great because Alex was like, we, I, I told everyone that they were going to come by on a text exchange. And, man, I only eat Wildberry and McDonald's for breakfast. And then the Melly Cafe people showed up with the food, and he was like, oh, this looks delicious. And Alex was great. Our, our buddy Angelo brought his daughter his daughter is like four years old, just cute as can be. And watching her and Alex interact was great. She's like, come see the breakfast. And she like dragged Alex to go see the breakfast. And he had a great time. So thanks to Melly Cafe, three great locations. Jackson and Halstead right there in the middle of Greektown. Dearborn and Wells. You can go do breakfast and lunch over there. Or Congress. Right there on Congress. You can go check them out as well. Let's say Dear, Dearborn and Wells. I mean, Dearborn and Congress in Dearborn. Ugh. Congress in Dearborn and Grand and LaSalle. That's what I meant. So three locations, Halstead and Jackson, Congress in Dearborn, and Grand. It's not even LaSalle. What am I doing? I'm totally messing it up. All right. Let's try that again. I'm leaving it in. Just like White Panther falling down the stairs. Three locations from Melly Cafe. Jackson and Halston in Greektown. Congress and Dearborn by DePaul, which is the one I usually go to. Or Grand and Wells. There. Now you know the location of Melly Cafe. And you should check them out on social, at Melly Cafe on Instagram. If you don't believe me about the food over there, just take a look at what they have. Trust me, you will love it. This episode, it turns out, is one of the shortest episodes that we're going to have. But I still think that you're going to enjoy it. I could have talked with Jim Rose for a really long time. But let me just tell you what was going on when we recorded. Jim is obviously busy because he's 
the anchor over at ABC7. Matching up his schedule with my schedule was really difficult, but we found an afternoon a couple weeks ago where I was already at the score and he was already at ABC7. And let me just tell you the logistics. If you've ever been over to ABC7 on State Street right there, Lake, the score studios are like two blocks away. So I said, do you think one afternoon, could you come in a little bit early, come talk to me for like 20 minutes, and I can get you on the podcast? And he said, no problem. So he walked over, and it became like a time crunch because if you're going on at 4 o'clock, usually the sports hit is in the the last block of the show. So if it's a half-hour newscast, you need to have everything in by at least 4 And you're going on the air at like 22 or 23. So he he wanted to make sure that he had enough time to get back over there and and make it all work. So I had to really, it's one of those things where you have so many questions that you want to ask. But I had to distill it down. And of course, like the conversation goes into places that you're not expecting it to go. And there are other things that you need to try and figure out. One of the the main points that I want you to realize with this podcast, because obviously I wanted to ask Jim about the Jordan years because he was kind of synonymous with the Jordan Bulls. Like from a media standpoint, like growing up as a kid, I think about Jim Rose with the Bulls and Mark Greco with the Bears because all that craziness that they did on Sports Sunday with him and Mongo. You remember that stuff? Mongo's pulling out knives and putting lipstick on, like all sorts of weird stuff. But I feel like in this town, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, like that's that's kind of what you remember from a sports TV aspect. But the crazy thing about Jim, I was on a panel with him last year. And when he said it, I couldn't believe it. When he said he was the longest tenured sportscaster in America, I was like, what? And I'm sitting there going, well, like Dale Hansen, like I was thinking about that. But Jim's been at the same place for almost 40 years. How crazy is that? So we, he gave me 20 minutes and then afterwards he told me a great story that I think he'll be okay with me sharing. But I want you to listen to the to the interview with him first and then I'll tell you on the back end during during the email section. I'll tell you the story that he told me and I, I all I'll say is it has to do with Michael Jordan. All right? So this was me and ABC7's own for almost 40 years, Jim Rose. All right, there's so many things I want to ask you. But I want to start with, we've, we've sat on panels together before, mm-hmm. and you've told the story about how you ended up doing this for a living. So could, could you share that? Yes. I started, I was 12 years old and a huge Boston Bruins fan back in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, back in the 60s, uh, the best, we didn't obviously have the internet or anything like that, and we had three television stations, and that was it. But as a kid, I used to steal the little... 15-inch black-and-white set that we had. Uh, we had two TVs, a 27-inch black-and-white TV and a, and a little 15-inch uh, 
portable set. And I'd take it up to the third floor of the house where we lived in, in Providence, Rhode Island, and I would tune in WSBK-TV out of, out of Boston, Channel 38. And I would turn the sound down, and I would do the play-by-play. I loved hockey. I thought I was Jerry Cheevers, the goaltender, all right? And um, so after school, after I'd get out of school, I'd come home, and I had a little uh, cassette tape recorder that I got for, for Christmas. And I would turn the TV on, and when the Red Sox were playing or the old Boston Patriots were playing or uh, the Celtics and, of course, the Bruins, I would turn the sound down and do the play-by-play. I was horrible. But I was having a good time. I mean, you know, and practice uh, makes perfect. Segway that into high school, and I wrote for the school newspaper. I was the kicker on the football team <laughs> at 120 pounds, Lawrence, six foot two, 120 pounds, and had this huge afro. And I think the afro was 10 pounds of that. And uh, when I uh, graduated from high school, I was just an average C student. And I come from a huge family. I have seven brothers and sisters, my mom and dad. They didn't have any money to send me to college. I didn't prove myself academically or athletically. So I went in the military and I went in the army. And at that time, Vietnam was raging, going on. I had a brother that had served in Vietnam in the um, 82nd Airborne. And he was one of those long range reconnaissance personnel, like the movie Sniper. He was, wow. that was him. And he said to me, if you come in here for two years, I'll kill you. I mean, literally. He said, you're going to go in for three because with a three-year contract, then you can write your own ticket. And so they gave me a test, a military occupational specialty test. They called it an MOS test. And they said that I had an aptitude for public relations and broadcasting, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a sports announcer since I was 12 years old. So they said, you go through basic training for eight weeks, and then we're going to send you to eight weeks of journalism school at Fort Benjamin Harrison in Indianapolis. And it was eight hours a day, five days a week for eight weeks. It was literally two years of college journalism. But the thing that struck me the most was the instructor stood up at the beginning of the class and he said, whomever finishes first in this class gets to go to the broadcasting school because I didn't have a guarantee for the broadcasting school. That's when the light went on. All of a sudden, I, I got it. And I would study the manuals backwards and forwards, day in and day out. And I finished first in the journalism class. And then I went to the broadcasting school, finished first in that class. And then I got the chance to go to Europe and, and serve uh, the armed forces at AFN-TV in Berlin. So as a 19-year-old, I was sports director of a television station that was serving the Army and the Air Force in Berlin, Germany. Did that for two years, came back home, went to college on the GI Bill at R- Rhode Island College, Worked at my uh, hometown TV station doing weekend sports at WPRI-TV. And during the week, I would run a, a studio camera. And then in 1978, got a chance to go to Syracuse, New York, and work for the ABC station there, WIXT. And then four years, four and a half years later, I got the call to come to Chicago. What was it like doing radio in the military during Vietnam? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I did two years, uh, uh, two months rather, of radio at AFN Radio in Frankfurt, and then I went to uh, AFN TV in Berlin. It was very interesting because they really didn't put much censorship on us because Vietnam was now starting to wind down. Remember, it ended in 75. And uh, so we were telling the same stories, uh, doing the same news that uh, ABC, NBC, and CBS was doing back home uh, in the United States. And we would get uh, from the, it was called the Air Force, um, uh, AFRTS, the Army Air Force um, Film Television System. And they would send us what was called kinescopes, basically a film 
of all the games that were happening in the NFL and Major League Baseball. We'd show them about two weeks later. And then finally, satellite TV caught up to us, and we were able to show things live as, as they were happening. But um, it, it, was, uh, it was a very interesting time. I, I met just a few guys who had served at uh, um, AFN Saigon, and they told me that you did the right thing by coming to Europe. You, you didn't want to be caught up in all of that there because one of the problems they had, as many Americans know now, they had a huge drug and alcohol problem from trying to fight that war. And that translated over into Europe because a lot of those non-coms were, after Vietnam was done, uh, came over to Europe and started running units there. We had a huge tank corps unit. We had a huge infantry unit. All of those were used to keep the Soviets at bay uh, along that line between East and West uh, Germany. Hmm. Okay. So you make it to Chicago. Mm -hmm. and, and you said this, and when you said it when we were talking, it blew my mind. You were the longest tenured sportscaster in America, correct? It, well, at it, one lo- station. At one station. At, 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 in local TV. Right. Um, I think that, uh, let's see, there's Fred Rogan at K, uh, AB, uh, KNBC in Los Angeles. Jim Hill actually has been doing local sports longer than I remember. He was a defensive back for San Diego. Absolutely. And then he transitioned into television in 79. But he went from CBS to ABC back to CBS. And um, so, and then when Len Berman retired in uh, New York at WNBC, I sort of picked up uh, the mantle. And now I'm in my 37th year. So at one station. That's that's insane yeah, to, no. <laughs> to be at one place for 37 years. Why do you think that you've been able to have that long of, of a career and a relationship mm-hmm. with one station? Because usually that's that's not the way that it works. Yeah. You know, I, I've thought about that from time to time, and it's kind of hard to put my, my finger on it. Um, I think that maybe my style of uh, doing a sports cast – where I don't really try to inject my uh, my personality into it very much. I mean, I'll do so from time to time, and I'll I'll try I try to be kind of cute and slick about injecting my opinion into things because you know people call it you're not supposed to give your opinion. You're supposed to you know tell it like it is and just report it. Why well, say yeah, I am telling it like it is? This is you know what happened. But um, I I think maybe it's because of my relationship with the community. Um, I, I do, and this is on my own. I, I do a lot of work in our community. Um, a couple of years ago, maybe actually it was about 10 years ago, I built a, a home in, in, um, in Riverdale. Um, wow. I've always been involved in construction. I, I have a woodworking shop at home and everything. I build cabinets and things like that. Uh, and that, but that's for another story. So I met this man one day, his name is Chris Swan, about six foot eight, comes from Englewood, lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we were, we were griddling pancakes for mothers uh, on the south side of Chicago on Mother's Day in 2003. And I asked him what he did, and he told me what he did. He got an architecture degree, and he had a construction company, and he was in Green Bay. I said, why aren't you in Chicago? He said, well, I tried to get you know, part of the contract at Soldier Field when they redid Soldier Field, but I got shut out. So I went to Green Bay, and his company actually did all the brickwork at Lambeau Field. Wow. So I said to him, I said, one of my dreams is I've been so fortunate is I've always wanted to build a home for a single mom. And so we formed a a group called the Swan Group. And what we did was Riverdale gave us this lot uh, at 137th Street where Chris had built some low-income homes. 
And through fundraisers and going on TV and making pleas, we got all kinds of stuff from people. So we built this home from the ground up. I learned how to dig the ground out with a bulldozer, shoveling concrete down out of a trough into forms to form the basement. The foundation is some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. Got on the top of the roof with a harness on and nailing shingles to the roof. Okay. But the best part about this was uh, in October of 2007, we were finally finished with the home because we do this on weekends. Chris would drive down with his construction trailer every other weekend, and we'd work from like 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday through about 7 o'clock on on a Sunday uh, evening, every other weekend, and finally finished his home. But the best part of it was this. We formed this this group called the Swan Group. We said, who are we going to give this house to? And I said, you know what? We need to have somebody responsible that's going to take this home and really use it. And take care of it. Yes. So we decided that we were going we put it on television. We wanted people to apply. You had to be a single mom back in college, whether it was a two- or a four-year college. You must have a 3.0 grade average. You must submit a letter stating why you thought you deserved the home. But the most important documentation was a letter of recommendation from the dean of students or the president of your university attesting to your character. We had 200 applicants. All of them were above 3.5. We had about 20 of them that were 4.0s. I wish I had 200 homes. But the woman who won was a nursing student at St. Xavier University. She had a 3.87 average. She was the only one unsolicited who included the report cards of her children. They both were 4.0 students, 11 and 12 year, uh, 10 and 12 years old, both girls. I got uh, so I went to her uh, graduation when she, um, Linda Garrison, when she graduated from college, St. Xavier. We were there. I wanted to see her walk. She got the keys to the house that day in October of 2007. Uh, there was a moratorium that you had to stay in the house for at least 10 years before you could sell it. All she had to do was pay the taxes on the home. But the best part of this was paying it forward. Her daughter graduated from University of Michigan with a 4.0 grade point average. That is incredible. Yep. Now, as we're recording this, you're getting ready for a sportscast, so our time is limited. So I, I'm going to distill this down. I I got to know about the Jordan years because I feel like <laughs> yeah. that's the thing that you're like most yes. connected to mm-hmm. is, is the Bulls-Jordan era. So what was it like covering the Bulls-Jordan era? It was like following the Beatles and the, and the Rolling Stones. First and foremost, I, will, I say this, and I say this all the time, despite uh, disagreements that Michael Jordan and I have had over the years about the social aspect that, like LeBron James is doing now, because Michael never got political, I will say this always and forever. Without Michael Jordan, I would have never had this career, because without a story to tell, you're, you're only as good as that story. But following them around was one of the most unbelievable experiences I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, I got over 600,000 miles on United, okay, just following them around. And I'm a million-mile <laughs> million flyer on United. But we, I'll just tell you this one story. One night, uh, they had played, I think it was the Cleveland Cavaliers, and um, they were still flying commercial. And uh, they had arranged for a flight from Chicago down to Atlanta. And so we flew down there. And this was before they won the championship. And Michael, I think it was in his fifth or sixth year. So he, his star was really rising. We get to the hotel, the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta. There's 200 people outside the hotel at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay? 
waiting to see the Bulls, cheering and yelling and screaming. Of course, Michael gets off the bus, and everybody's going absolutely crazy. But to cover Michael Jordan, I'd never, outside of Muhammad Ali, I'd never seen an athlete like that who was so dedicated, so determined. Uh, when you describe somebody with a championship heart, he had it. Obviously, that upset stomach game in Utah, because it wasn't a flu that he had. He got, you know, food poisoning from some bad pizza was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, that was when they were allowing us to sit behind the baskets. And I'll never forget him making his last basket. And he was at the free throw line and he yells over to Scotty. And Scotty comes over and he goes, he like whispers to him, man, after this shot, you got to come get me because I'm out. I'm, I don't have nothing left. And there's that famous shot of him leaning on Scotty's shoulder and Scotty's taking him to the bench. And, you know, they obviously won that game and then won their uh, sixth championship. But he um, it was an extraordinary athlete. I, I wished he would have been more politically and socially active like Ali, like, um, like LeBron James, like Jim Brown was, um, and uh, Kurt Flood, people like that. So what's the memory outside of that one that, that you'll take about the reaction back in Chicago when the Bulls won? Because I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a kid. I think, what am I, 16 when they win the first one? Yeah. And I just remember being like it being huge. And yeah. I, I remember it being a lot like what the Blackhawks did mm -hmm. when when they won and they kind of broke everything up and won for the first time. But what what do you remember about covering that? I will never, I'll never forget Game Five in Los Angeles, and uh, we were outside the locker room. I had done a couple of live reports uh, for our newscasts, and they were getting ready for the game. And the players came out of the locker room and they're putting their uh, warm ups on. And Michael, he, he was just so predictable and he came out and he's buttoning up his his jacket and the guys are getting around him and then cliff levingston you know leads him in the what time is it game time huh and as michael's walking by me he sort of winks and he taps me on the shoulder and he says make sure you're first in line for coming into the locker room after this game's over because this thing's over and the confidence was unbelievable that and you know they lost the first game then they won three and now it was time for game four. And I get in the locker room, and um, they are getting ready to make the commercial for Disney, Disney World, you know, the MVP. And Michael goes to the guy and says, I ain't doing it. And he goes, wait a minute, what? He says, I'll tell you what, I'll do it if you do one thing for me. The other four starters have to do it with me, and we're going to cut the prize up, the 100 grand up. Everybody gets 20 grand. That was Michael Jordan. Now, the only picture that I'm putting in my retirement house in Saugatuck, Michigan, somebody, I think it was Phil Velasquez from the Sun-Times, shot a picture. Right after they did that, I jumped in there, and I'm starting to interview them. And I'll show it to you on my phone. And it's a picture of John Paxson, Bill Cartwright, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, and Michael Jordan in the middle. And I'm interviewing them live. And you can see my, my, the side of my face and I had a poster made of it, a two-by-three-foot poster. Michael signed it. John signed it. Um, I'm trying to find Bill Cartwright. And then Scotty and Horace, I'll get them to sign it when we get start training camp again when I see them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You got to text. I'll use that as the header for this podcast if you want to share it. Absolutely. Just text it to me, and uh, I'll put it in there. Absolutely. All right. So one last thing. Mm -hmm. I always ask my guests what advice they have for young broadcasters. So I can think of no one better to ask that question of than you. Well, I appreciate that. Because first and foremost, I want to tell our, our listeners, I have the utmost of respect for you. You are so intelligent. You make somebody like me very proud. As an African-American, there's very few of us in this business. 
And I think of you on the same plane as a Mike Tirico, guys who have come after me and who have used their intelligence and their wit and uh, their personality to convey a message, to be a journalist. There's very few of us left in this business. I'm talking about journalists. There's a lot of clowns out there that are trying to make a name for themselves. But, Lawrence, you have really done a magnificent job of doing what you do, and I want you, you to know I'm very, very proud of you. That's very nice of you to say. My advice to them is this. you got to start small. Uh, it's almost like a baseball player. You go from Class A to Double A to Triple A to the major leagues. I went from Berlin, Germany to Providence, Rhode Island, to Syracuse, New York, to Chicago. And I think when you do that, and it took me nine years to go from the time I started to the time I came to Chicago. And I think when you do that, you get a very, very good idea of what this business is like on a smaller level. And then you're able to compete in a bigger market. I learned how, and this was long before they even mentioned multimedia journalists, I learned how to shoot film, how to process it and develop it, how to edit it and put it on the air. I had complete, when I was in the military and when I was in Providence, Rhode Island, I had complete and total control over everything that went on the air. Now I have great producers who gather information for me. I write most of what I say. Uh, sometimes they'll write stuff for me and I, I have to edit it on the air because it's, it, it's at the last minute or, or whatever. Um, but um, for the most part... Working in those smaller markets really set the table for me to make it this far in this business. Thanks for doing this. I truly appreciate it. I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to get you on the podcast uh, because pe your name came up in a conversation I was having with Michael Kim mm. where he was talking about representation. Mm -hmm. And he was saying how when he was a kid, there were no Asian sportscasters. Right. And he threw it back at me. He was like, well, what about you? I said, well... I mean, you know, I, I was a guy that loved radio, so I, I had Doug Banks, and mm -hmm. I was like, I had Jim Rose. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I should probably get Jim Rose on the <laughs> podcast and talk to him about that. And see, for me, it was Brian Gumble. When Brian Gumble was first on TV on NBC, and he was doing the pre- and post-game stuff for the Final Four, uh, my chest just swelled up because I saw somebody looked exactly like me. And he spoke intelligently, and I've sort of modeled my career after his in the sense that I wasn't going to be a clown. I wasn't going to be a jokester. I was going to tell it like it is. I wanted to tell a story because people want to hear the story. Well, thank you for doing this, sir. My pleasure, Lawrence. Outstanding, brother. Awesome, man. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate thank you. Thank you. So short but good, right? There's a lot there. I knew a little bit about Jim's origin story of him in the military. And there's more to that story. It's He is obviously someone who requires a part two. I've been thinking about the part twos, by the way. I haven't completely forgotten about them. I've been thinking about, do I have to wait like a whole year to get Jason Benetti back on? Like, do I have to wait a whole year to ask Cheryl Scott to come back on the podcast? Do I have to go through the entire roster of media people in Chicago before I ask someone else to come back on again? I'm not sure where the answer is. Oh, I promised you a story. Okay. So this is just between you and I. All right. We finish the podcast. I'm walking Jim downstairs. 
And he tells me a story about him doing a television show with Michael Jordan. And this is unheard of, unheard of now that a star athlete does a local wrap-up show on Sunday night. But he somehow convinced the people over at Channel 7 that he could get MJ to do it. And then he somehow convinced MJ to do it. You know, he had been covering the team. They were close. Jim showed me a picture, and I guess Les had sent it to him. It's like Grobstein, Rose, Jordan, Pippen, Kukoch, and maybe somebody else. Anyway, I won't talk about the dollars because that's not my business. But I will tell you, if you're someone who's always wondered about the competitive spirit of Michael Jordan when it comes to dollars, apparently Jordan said, look, I want to to do the show. I'll do the show. I'm fine doing the show. But I don't have a lot of time. And if the show runs over the half an hour, then you have to pay me blank. And the number would blow your mind. I can't tell you the number. I feel like that would be a a major breach of trust if I told you the number. But, and this wouldn't happen today because I think a superstar of that caliber, like if you did the same thing with LeBron now, like LeBron knows how TV works. LeBron knows how film works. No, I'm not making a LeBron MJ thing. I'm just saying. I don't know if it could happen now. And the reason I don't know if it could happen now is because you know that a 30-minute show on the air is really like 22 or 23 minutes. So what Jim told me, because apparently Jordan thought that he was a lock for this extra time like money. What Jim told me was that they had planned the show out. Like he had had a stand-in in the whole nine yards. They had done practice runs on the show so that it was always going to be 22 or 23 minutes. And so the funniest part, Jim goes, the last time that he saw Jordan, because you know Jordan's got a long memory, like John Lackey, Jordan's like, you owe me some money. And Jim's like, no, I don't. Because we never went over 30 minutes. I can guarantee you of that. So I just thought I would share. Because that's hysterical to me. Like absolutely hysterical. So big thanks to Jim Rose. Also gives us an opportunity to thank our sponsor, Melly Cafe. Jim will get a $50 gift certificate. Actually, it's a gift card. It's not a certificate. A gift card from Melly Cafe. At Melly Cafe Chicago. You can check them out on Instagram and on Twitter. Three locations. Let's see if I get it right this time. Jackson and Halstead, Congress and Dearborn, and Grand and Wells. The Congress and Dearborn location is open for dinner. The other two are open for breakfast and lunch. It's a great place to have a meeting. It's a great place to hang out with the people. Now to the email. I enjoy the email. I love email. This is from LJ, who says, Lawrence, just wanted to reach out and let you know how much I appreciate you making a podcast highlighting some of Chicago's best local media talent. 
it's the one thing to follow the local personalities on Twitter, but to actually hear their stories is awesome. Also wanted you to know that I am training for the Chicago Marathon this year. I find myself listening to the pod on my long run days, sometimes making me laugh out loud mid-stride. Keep up the great work. That's from James. James, I believe that we are going to have a marathon edition of House of L. It's not confirmed yet, but I'm I'm working I'm working with some people on some things. I'm not running the marathon. I'm getting out of town. But Maggie Hendricks and I are collabing on something and that's over the next few months you're going to see there's going to be episodes of House of L where I'm not doing the interview which I think is really exciting. I'm going to do this part. I'm going to do the intro to let you know who's doing the interviews and stuff. But I I think Maggie's focus is going to be on the marathon, and I think that you're really going to like it. If what she pitched me is what ends up happening, it's going to be really dope. But I appreciate you emailing. And if you'd like to email, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it. Do I want to answer sports questions? All right, I'll take this one. This one's from Joseph, and it's long. But he says, I think it'd be great to have you interview a big-time head coach and explore the natural dichotomy that exists between coach and media. The coach always wants to limit available information given out to the public in order to try and achieve an advantage, and members of the media Your sole focus is to uncover as much information and provide it to us media consumers. I think an in-depth discussion on this subject with the head coach would be interesting, both for those interested in media as a profession, also those of us who are sports fans. That's from Joe. Joe, I agree with you. I'll tell you the coach that I wanted to do that, explore that with. I just don't think I had enough time before the preseason started. Pat Fitzgerald. Pat and I go like way back, like to high school days. And so he was he was one of the guys I wanted to actually explore that exact topic with, along with other stuff, because he's led an interesting life. But yeah, that's that's in the cards for what what we might do at House of L. Those type of subjects I think are fascinating. It's just really difficult. Coaches' schedules are difficult. And the way that coaches are handled can be difficult sometimes. And to get one of them to give you 45 minutes, maybe maybe I'll have Dan Muller. That's my man. I have him talk about some of this stuff. Maybe I get Dave Lato to sit down and have a heart-to-heart like that. But, yeah, I think it's a really cool idea, and it's something that we are exploring. Faux show. Let's see. How many Bears questions do I want to answer? I don't think a lot. I don't think a lot. Because the show on the score kind of handles that, but... Okay, I'll take this one from Desmond. As awesome as the Bears' defense is, one of the scariest things right now is having a bad quarterback on a rookie contract. Mitch is going to be given plenty of chances to prove himself, especially since the Bears do not have a first-round pick for the next couple of years. 
So my question is, what do you do if Mitch is truly just bad? Well, the good thing for the Bears is that this past week he wasn't just good, he was great. He was tremendous. I think it's probably that performance. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I'm about to, you know, people say that all the time. I'm totally about to take something away from him. I thought the game plan for that game was exquisite. And I thought that Matt Nagy had them wired. Will it look like that against the Dolphins? We shall see. But yes, if he's bad, bad, I don't know if he can be bad enough that the Bears won't find themselves a little bit in in the mix in the NFC North because I don't think that Minnesota is as good as we thought that they were going to be. They are who we thought they were. We let them off the hook. If you want to crown them, then crown All right, that's not mine. That's, that's Denny Green's. So, thank you. I appreciate it. And again, if you want to email the podcast, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. And that's going to wrap it up. I know it's a totally short episode, but I actually thought that there was some cool stuff in it. The Bears are on a bye this week, which is great because I need some time. It's been a, I just need a few days off. Wait, I'll stop the music here. I need a few days off. I do a lot of stuff, and in the fall is my busiest time because I teach my class. I do the show. I do the TV show, and now I added the podcast. And there's something else that's a little more private that I'm doing that at some point I'll share. But it it takes a lot of my time. And so I kind of hit the wall this week. And I did the uh, Sports Reporters podcast with Mitch Album and Mike Lupica on Monday. And I must have looked like death warmed over. Because it was Monday morning at 7 o'clock. Because those two guys are on Eastern time and... So that's me getting up at like 5.30, getting on, you know, getting showered and prepped and getting down to the station. And my program director, Mitch, was like, because, you know, it's one of those things where it's set up through Intercom that that I could be on with those guys. Because they have a company called Cadence 13 that does a lot of podcasting. And you should totally check out the pod that I did with Mike and Mitch. It's a lot of fun. We talk about a lot of stuff. I like it. Keeps me sharp. Keeps me relevant nationally. I get a chance to talk about things that I don't necessarily get to talk about on the score, which is fun because I watch a lot of sports, a ton of it. So Mitch was like, are you all right? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually not okay. I'm, I'm not okay. For once, I could say that. I'm a little tired. This is of my own making. This is not anyone else's fault. But I'm on that little Wayne stuff sometimes which is people ask me for things, and I'm like, yes, I will do it. You need a feature, I will do it. But I'm kind of at the end of that rope right now where I need to decompress just a little bit. And the Bears by, for me, for them I think it's bad, but for me it's perfect. I need a little bit of time to decompress. 
So luckily I won't have to worry about a Bears pot this weekend. I don't have to worry about it until they play against the Dolphins. So this weekend is going to be spent with me looking at mountains because that calms me. I'm very calm when it comes to looking at red rocks, being in the desert. It calms me. So hopefully what you'll hear in the upcoming episodes of House of L is a reinvigorated me. I'm also, honestly, with the Cubs losing, I'm I'm a little reinvigorated, not because they lost, but because I know that in the coming couple weeks, I'm going to have more opportunities for longer form shows, which is great because then I can kind of do the old sports aru a little bit more than I've been doing it. But your boy needs a break. It's a hell of my own making. I did this. No one else did this to me. But I could I could use a few days off. So luckily, the schedule sets up that way. Uh, I was talking with Mitch, and I'm not going to be on Thursday. I'd already taken Friday off. So it's going to be a long, nice long weekend for me. And then Monday, I'm going to get back here. Get it cracking, and we're going to have some good stuff. I can tell you from the way that the podcast is scheduled out, if everything comes to fruition, man, do we have some great stuff in store for you over the next few weeks. So keep your fingers crossed. And like I told you, there might be other people doing some of the interviews on House of L. Yeah. I get to write checks now. I get to pay people to do some of this stuff, which is great. We'll see how long that lasts. All right, start the music. I don't know who I'm yelling to start the music since I'm the one running the board. But I appreciate you indulging my nonsense. I'm going to go somewhere where there ain't no mosquitoes at and chill out for a couple days. Thanks for listening. Catch up on some of the old episodes of House of L. There's some really great ones. Just go through the list. Click on them. It's appreciated. Check out the Sarah Spain episode or the University of Chicago episode, which is dope. Check out the Jason Goff. I don't even have to tell you to check out the Jason Goff. Like everyone listens to that one. But you know what I mean. I hope you enjoyed this one. I enjoyed doing it. Next week, we got some fire coming your way. Talk to you next time.